This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. I can't believe it's Monday again, but it is. We have a whole bunch of topics to talk about today, which you can see up here on screen. We have a great index in the description so you can jump to what you want to watch very quickly and we're going to get it started right now. Now before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters on the channel including Bob and Carol who contributed via Super Chat on last week's premiere of the wrap up and we also have a new YouTube member Brian Carter. So I want to thank him for his support of the channel, along with everyone who supports the channel on an ongoing basis and those of you who watch on a regular basis too, because all of those things equal channel growth. So let's take a look now at the Week in Review. On the Extras channel, we unboxed a new 4K Blu-ray player from Panasonic that we'll be uh, reviewing here on the channel in the next day or two. That review is shot and ready to go. I also unboxed the Raspberry Pi 4, And I was hoping to review it last week. I just didn't get enough time to really put a lot of evaluation time into the product. So we're going to be doing that this week. Hopefully towards the end of the week, we'll have my Pi 4 review up. Uh, Let me know what you'd like to see in that video. I may not get to everyone's suggestion, but uh, if there are things that I don't cover initially, it might make it into a follow-up video or something on the Extras channel. So if you haven't seen something covered in a prior review Uh, Let me know down in the comment stream there, and we'll try to incorporate it in some way, shape, or form. And then on the main channel, we had a whole bunch of different things this week. Uh, We had an update on the 8-bit Doe controller that I shot over the weekend. Uh, We looked at cheaper Apple Pencil alternatives. And then the last video here really surprised me by how well it did. Uh, Typically, if I do some kind of game stream, it usually doesn't do uh, very well at all from the standpoint of views. But my No Man's Sky PC VR live stream actually did quite well, uh, even in the recorded version of it. Usually the, uh, the live stream does better than the replay, but in this case, the replay did better than the live stream and did so well that I kind of delayed uploading something else to make sure that one ran its course there. So that was kind of a fun thing. I'm going to tell you more about my thoughts on No Man's Sky VR here a little bit later in the wrap-up. And again, you can see all the stuff down below in the master playlist. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And we have talked now about how Google, Apple, and last week Microsoft were all taking private recordings of their users and shipping them off to third-party contractors. This week, it is Facebook's turn. Bloomberg reports that they were using contractors to transcribe user audio chats. Uh, The company said the users who were affected chose the option in Facebook Messenger's app. As it turns out, the option to do that automatic voice-to-text is off by default. So if you wanted to enable it, you have to turn it on on a per-conversation basis. So this is something that probably wasn't as widespread as Google or Apple's issue was because those were Siri and Google Assistant conversations. But still, uh, users were clicking this box and not knowing that the audio they were recording was getting seen by a human uh, versus just having a computer look at it for transcription. So just get another example of how sometimes companies... Uh, take advantage of the trust that us users have in them. 
Now, also in Bloomberg, there's a really interesting analysis about the Facebook and FTC settlement. We talked about this on the channel about two or three weeks ago. In a nutshell, uh, Facebook agreed to pay the U.S. government $5 billion to settle some regulatory issues related to their behavior in the 2016 election. This is the largest fine ever issued by the Federal Trade Commission, but it wasn't a universal vote on that commission. The two Democrats that sit on the commission voted against it, and I think this might be the reason why. Uh, What happened here is that Facebook paid the $5 billion, which, by the way, uh, was uh, still less than the amount of money they made in just one quarter last year. Uh, That's the net profit, too, by the way. Uh, And what happened here is they agree that they are no longer going to share information with third parties. And if they do, uh, they have to get the permission of the user to do it. And Facebook and Zuckerberg himself, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO, will be held liable if the company violates the order. And the article here says the company is likely to interpret that law in the most beneficial way possible, arguing that it's legally required to keep its valuable data to itself. Now, the article goes on to quote a former Facebook executive, Alex Stamos, who's been critical of the company and the settlement. And he says here in a Twitter thread that you can find linked on screen that Facebook paid the FTC $5 billion for a letter that says you never again have to create mechanisms that could facilitate competition. What does he mean by that? Well, he follows it up with this tweet where he says that this isn't a binding thing on other companies, but he says it will be interesting to see if they use this as a reason to reduce APIs and favor their own apps. He also says, think about the scale here, the data that's been stolen and exported to the cloud, uh, like all of the uh, credit card things, for example, or the big Equifax breach that impacted millions upon millions of people. He says those things dwarf what came out of the Cambridge Analytica scandal, and it might lead these companies to saying, hey, the government doesn't want to sharing information with anyone, so we should push everyone to our own apps versus something that might be a competing app. And it looks like Apple is already moving in that direction with iOS 13. Uh, Mac Rumors reported this week that they are making some changes as to how the phone works with location tracking. So right now on an iOS app with the current version of iOS, if I download the app and it's, you know, Foursquare or something that wants to know where I am, I can grant the app permission to track my location anywhere I go. Uh, But it looks like on the beta version here, it will no longer allow location tracking unless the app is actually loaded and on screen at the time. And I've got a few apps that don't share my information out, but they do track my location. My task manager, for example, whenever I'm getting close to the grocery store, it will ping me with my grocery list. I don't forget to stop there and get stuff. It's very useful to me. Uh, And it looks like they're going to make it more difficult for users to leave those always tracking uh, things on when they first install these apps. Apparently they can go into the preferences and do it, but not when they're getting onboarded with a new app here. Now you can make the argument that this is about privacy, yes, but if Apple doesn't apply the same rules to their native apps, does this make it more difficult for someone to launch a useful competing app? That's the question, and that seems to be uh, what has developers upset here with this particular issue. Now this also got me thinking about some of the membership programs that are out there to help creators uh, with subscriptions for their supporters. Uh, namely Patreon and DonorBox, which I use, but also YouTube's membership program, which they are very aggressively rolling out now. They've added tiers. They have uh, member-only videos you can do now. You can do member-only community posts. And it's great because it's right there on the platform and very convenient. 
However, Patreon and DonorBox uh, give me your contact information. So when you make a Patreon contribution or a DonorBox contribution, the email address that you leave with those companies is given to the creators. And you might say, oh, I don't like that my information is being sent to somebody directly. But at the same time, if I were to switch from one platform to the other, I could communicate with you directly and let you know that, hey, we have this relationship. You should know that I'm moving over here if you want to continue that relationship. Uh, I did that actually when Patreon had that uh, fee thing they were going to do where the users were going to be paying the credit card fees. Uh, A lot of people were unhappy about that. And I was able to contact all of my Patreon supporters directly to let them know that there's an alternative that I'll be using. And if you want, you can switch over to that. And a lot of people did. And that's what the DonorBox thing is. Uh, Likewise, if DonorBox ever implodes, I can contact people directly that way. It's great for me because you can know where I'm going to be if I decide to move somewhere. However, in the case of YouTube memberships, I don't get any contact information. In fact, the only way I can communicate with people who are supporting me is through YouTube. I can do a members-only community post or a members-only video. I'm pretty sure that every member will see those posts, so it's not like something that's going to be algorithmically filtered, at least I hope it isn't. Uh, But nonetheless, that is the only way that I can communicate. And I'm pretty sure that YouTube does not allow you to promote things on competing platforms per their terms of service. So if I were to leave YouTube and say, hey, I'm going over to Twitch, and I wanted to let you know about it, I don't think they would allow me to actually send that out to my paying supporters per the terms of service. I could probably do it, uh, but it would probably have some implications like a community strike or something like that. So it's very difficult because of the privacy policy for me to encourage people to look at a competing platform here. And it kind of puts us independent creators at a disadvantage because we're going to be locked into these different platforms. Uh, Facebook, of course, will allow me to do that to all of my Facebook page supporters if I pay for an ad. Uh, So there you can see, again, the walled gardens here can be very, very profitable. And it makes us creators have to kind of pay a tax to be able to communicate with our own customers. And that, to me, has me a bit uneasy. But it looks like that's where we're headed And clearly, with the YouTube and Patreon example here, that is exactly what's going on now. And it's funny, I hadn't really thought about uh, the the kind of data sharing that can bring more competition into the mix. I've always thought about the privacy implications here, but there's a lot more to this story. And I think that speaks to just how complex policy issues are these days. Who would think that perhaps trying to make data more private might reduce competition? But here we are, and we might see some regulatory Uh, things start to happen here in the U.S. in the next couple of years. And the question is, will lawmakers look at reasoned regulation or will they look at more fear-mongering? And it looks like right now the fear side is kind of winning out. And I'm not sure where we're going to end up with this, but this was a very interesting analysis that made me think a little bit differently about this issue. CBS and Viacom this week announced that they are going to recombine into a single company. They split up back in 2005 or so when CBS was really struggling with TV. They've since turned that around pretty significantly, and now they're going to be a large company with both TV and movies under its corporate leadership. And of course, uh, Disney merged with 20th Century Fox recently, and I'm sure that was driving a lot of this uh, decision here. Uh, The big question is, what is it going to mean for the streaming services that each company was operating independently from the other? So Pluto TV, which is a very popular free streaming network, 
A lot of cord cutters are using it. When you boot it up, it looks a lot like your old TV guide thing. It's a very familiar interface, and they've got a lot of users, more than you might think. Uh, they do have some CBS content that they've licensed over uh, to Pluto TV, so that's going to get a lot cheaper for them, I think, as this merger goes through. But the big question is, what will Pluto TV look like now that uh, CBS is the owner? And CBS, of course, wants people to subscribe to their TV service, CBS All Access. I have a feeling that Pluto TV will probably stay the way it is. There's probably a really good opportunity to put up some sample episodes of CBS All Access shows on there, put some ads on them, make a little bit of money, and then try to convert people over to a subscription platform. So we'll have to see how all of this gets put together. But be, be aware, if you're a Pluto TV fan, things will likely change, although I don't think they're going to change for the worse, but I could be wrong there. Uh, now, for me as a Star Trek fan, this is great news because Star Trek was in this really weird place. When they split the company up, Viacom got all the movie rights to Star Trek and CBS had all the television rights. And it got really weird when a TV show was going to reference something from the Star Trek canon that happened in a movie. And that's why the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies were so different in a different universe, literally, uh, because they couldn't take too much from the television side without having to work out some joint licensing agreement or something. It's very complicated. I think it actually impacted them creatively on Star Trek Discovery. And this is going to make the uh, future Star Trek episodes that we're all hoping to see uh, more likely now. In fact, it could even lead to maybe a Deep Space Nine revival as sci-fi is predicting here in this article. So if you're curious as to what happened with Star Trek and why it's been so weird, uh, take a look at the article because it really discusses some of the challenges here with a TV show that began its life on television that became a very popular film franchise and then all the cr- crazy things that happen with licensing when you're trying to do new digital content that incorporates story elements from both. Really fascinating read. There's some other YouTube channels that have been covering some of these issues as well. All of those issues now will go away. And I stumbled across this trailer the other day for what looks like a really cool Oculus Quest game. Uh, This is called Space Pirate Arena. And what it lets you do is jump into a large space and have a multiplayer laser tag experience. Uh, This is just with the Oculus Quest, so it's a very accessible experience if you have a big enough space in which to play the game. And it looks like four players can play this. It basically creates this virtual arena that you can walk around in. Apparently, they're going to have penalties, so you can't cheat and walk through the walls. And this is the experience. It just looks awesome. And I think the Quest is really going to be the device that finally gets people thinking about VR. Uh, I think it's sold pretty well so far. And people are really curious about it. And the, the entry to it is just so easy. You put the thing on and it works. And for developers, it's great because everybody has the same exact experience. As we're going to talk about with uh, No Man's Sky in a minute, PC VR is complicated for users and developers. Uh, this is a very consistent experience with no wiring or other hardware limitations that can eat into the overall VR world that you're creating. And I'm really eager to try this out when it becomes available. And now it's time for some updates of things that we've previously talked about here on the channel. And I wanted to just give you an update on the No Man's Sky VR experience, at least on the PC. Uh, Some folks are having no problems at all. Uh, Some are having minor issues, as I was, and others are having some major issues. And it looks like there's just a lot of different configurations out there, and that is part of the problem. Uh, People on the PlayStation are having a much better experience now than us PC users are. I did figure out an issue that I was having, though, and this might be helpful to some of you who might be struggling with performance problems. 
Uh, my PC, when I loaded up No Man's Sky, was running the game at 1080p on the desktop. I must have had it hooked up to my TV or something right before I installed the patch. So I changed the uh, resolution of the game to match the native resolution of my widescreen monitor upstairs. And that monitor has a higher resolution than my headset does. And that immediately made a big difference. Visuals were clearer, uh, the frame rate was better, and I was able to spend uh, a grand total of about four hours in the game this weekend. I did about two hours on Saturday and another two hours yesterday. So even with these PC performance problems, it is an amazing experience, and it's really, I think, an example of what VR is capable of. And if they can fix some of these visual and performance issues, which I know are possible, uh, this is going to be just an outstanding VR experience on the PC. Right now, it's about as good as what you might get out of the PlayStation from a visual perspective, even with like a super high-end 2080 Ti card. There's a lot of folks who have hardware that you would not believe uh, that just can't get this game to run in the way that everyone expected it to and the way it should run. So hopefully the team now, once they get some of the other bugs squashed, can put some focus into the PC VR version here and get that performance tuned up because this has got so much potential and it's killing me. We're not taking full advantage of it just yet. And I've got some announcements to make too. I'm going to be headed to IFA in Berlin, Germany. Uh, That runs from September 6th to the 11th. I'll be there for a portion of the show. And Lenovo is going to be sponsoring that trip. So I want to thank them for that. We wouldn't be going without them. And I'll probably be doing two or three dispatch videos uh, from the floor at IFA. IFA is kind of like the European version of CES. And we'll kind of approach it the same way we've approached our CES coverage, which is just on the floor dispatches. So you can see what it looks like to be at one of these shows. And of course, we'll be looking for unique and interesting gadgets and whatnot. So stay tuned for that. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And we're going to begin with a continuation of a discussion about uh, YouTube demonetizing videos that are talking about the Kodi media player. Now, what's happened with Kodi over the years is that it began as a media player for the Xbox, the original Xbox, and it kind of morphed into a wonderful open source project that a lot of cord cutters used. Uh, But at the same time, because it was open source, a lot of nefarious actors out there started selling boxes that they called Kodi boxes that had add-ons installed to allow people to watch pirated TV shows and movies. Some of them integrated BitTorrent clients and grabbed the, the content that way. And it created a real issue for the Kodi open source project. And Ryan Martinez here pointed to an article that they posted on their blog uh, back in 2016 about how Kodi decided as an organization to trademark the name and go after the pirate box sellers and the YouTube creators who were promoting them. And I think they were well within their rights to do that because it was hurting the Kodi brand. And Ryan suspected that maybe uh, Cody had something to do with all this demonetization. But that is not the case. I reached out to Cody about it. Uh, They said YouTube is not acting on their behalf. The likelihood here is that they're acting on behalf of advertisers, namely the big studios. uh, Because you can see in this Engadget article from 2017 uh, that the Hollywood studios got together and started going after streaming Cody add-ons. In fact, I think in Europe they made it illegal to sell a... Cody box at all. Like if it had any of these pirate add-ons on it, it was completely illegal, uh, even if it didn't have any pirated content on it itself. So that was something that the studios really made an effort to do. And as a result of that, there were a number of channels that were covering some of these Cody add-ons that not only got demonetized, but actually had copyright strikes issued against them. Uh, This guy, Nathan Carter, had his videos taken down by Sky, which is a 
uh, TV network out in Europe. I believe it was owned by Rupert Murdoch, but I think now it's a Disney product. Uh, and this was a very aggressive campaign. I suspect what happened here is that uh, these studios who are big advertisers on YouTube said to YouTube, hey, we're going to stop advertising just like all those other brands did on objectionable content if you keep running ads on these videos telling people how to go out and buy Cody boxes and commit acts of piracy. And given that YouTube has no way to discern context in anything, uh, if it mentioned or had the word Cody in it, they just demonetized it immediately. Now, in my case now, I've got four, I think four videos now on the main channel that were how-tos for HD Home Run and uh, side-loading Cody onto Android boxes, all perfectly legal activities that have been demonetized and YouTube denied my uh, formal request for them to reconsider the demonetization. So those now are demonetized forever. And it certainly puts a chilling effect on anyone who wants to cover Cody the media player because just talking about it might mean you don't earn any revenue on the video that you do. And this is how companies can kind of take advantage of the market and maybe perhaps abuse the DMCA to get people to stop talking about things that they are not comfortable with. And that has me uh, very concerned here because it's not quite censorship, but it's leading to it uh, just because they're taking any incentive out of talking about this open source app. And today it's Cody, as we saw last week with the guy that was uh, taken down by Take-Two Interactive for talking about a video game. They use the same tactics there. So this is just another example, I think, of how YouTube just, works the way it works right now, and companies still have a lot of power to determine what gets talked about on the platform. My videos aren't being taken down. They're not being given copyright strikes. They just can't earn money uh, the way my other videos do. And surely for somebody like me who's in business to make videos and earn a living, I'm going to make videos about things that will earn me a living, not things that don't. And this is something that might impact Cody content in the future. And it also appears that even talking about this issue might lead to a demonetization Uh, So last week on The Wrap-Up, we talked about this topic. The Wrap-Up was not demonetized, but the snippet that I uploaded of this topic on the Snippets channel was. As you can see here, it was rated as a limited video. I did appeal it, and they did grant the appeal there. So that one at least was allowed after somebody looked at it. But it looks like if you're doing anything with Cody and installing an add-on or something, that's probably going to trigger whatever it is they're looking for and lead to a demonetization. And I think YouTube probably figures, we just don't want to deal with it. So even if it is legal, we're just not going to monetize it, and that's going to be the end of it. So this is what you'll see uh, when you try to have them manually review it. This was a video all about using the the add-on for HD Home Run, which is totally legal. It's pulling in over-the-air content. We've seen it before here, and this is now completely demonetized forever. What really gets me about this whole thing is that we're not getting any information as to what the thresholds are as to what might trigger a demonetization. And there's clearly a policy in place or else those all of those videos would have been reinstated versus just the one where I was talking about this. And if you look on their advertiser-friendly content guide page, it's got a lot of information about all this stuff here, but nothing even remotely related to this topic. So again, I have no idea where where the thresholds are and what will or will not be monetizable on the platform when talking about that topic. They don't even have a topic for piracy, let alone anything on Cody or anything similar to that. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know what? All of this is about YouTube's brand in that 
I think the public would like to have some assurance that they're not rewarding people who are uploading content about these bullet points, right? Um, they also go into very specific detail, especially in the area of violence or news items, what things would get you demonetized there because that's been all the bad press they've been getting. I don't think they want us creators to know about the fact that a movie studio probably said demonetize this topic or else. And I think that's exactly what happened here. So I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to keep doing what I do and I'll complain about it when these things happen. And I appreciate uh, everyone's support. And I will say in fairness that the entire demonetization issue when it began about two years ago uh, has actually benefited the channel because generally I talk about very safe topics that advertisers are very comfortable having their uh, content attached to. So even though my viewership has been relatively static over the years, I'm actually doing better on revenue from one year to the next. And that's because there's a lot less inventory out there for YouTube to sell versus the time before Adpocalypse began. Uh, so that benefits me in many ways, but there are things that will impact everyone. So if you're concerned about a channel getting demonetized for this issue or that, it may not affect you right now, but it could in the future. I will be honest, I had that attitude. Well, that guy's talking about that controversial thing, or this one's doing this on his channel. Uh, you know, that's fine. But now it's like creeping into other things. And I think eventually there's not going to be much left that you can talk about without getting demonetized. The good news is for monetization, though, is that even if you are demonetized, uh, YouTube premium subscribers will still be funding your channel through their subscription dollars. So those YouTube premium uh, dollars still come to you. You just don't get the ad share and no ads are run next to your videos when they pop up for people online. Now, last week we talked about the Ring doorbell and how they are developing relationships with local law enforcement. And Michael Arnold wrote in after reading the terms of service in the Ring agreement and had some concerns, which we're going to get to in a second. But basically, it says that Ring is being granted a license to use your recordings whichever which way they want, including selling it or sending it off to the media. And his concern here is that this is very uncool if you have a camera outside what if it captures you naked or something as you're walking around outside? So I dove into their terms of service a bit. Now, first of all, they don't claim ownership of your intellectual property rights. They say that you own your user recordings. You'll note that they have that uh, capitalized like a title because they differentiate user recordings from shared recordings. So if you have a camera image of you walking around outside in your house naked, but you don't post it anywhere, uh, then that's under the guise of user recordings and they're not claiming a right to that. However, if law enforcement asks for a copy of the video that you have stored privately, they will turn it over to them provided there's a subpoena or a warrant or something related to that. So keep that in mind. They, they, people will get access to it if they want to with a legal order. But things get more sinister when you look at what they define as shared content. Uh, so shared content, they say, is anything that you've publicly posted or uploaded. And they give you some examples of what could constitute a public dissemination, including uploading, posting, emailing, transmitting, or otherwise disseminate using or in connection with the products or services. And I would read this to be that if you were in the Ring app and clicked on the share icon to send it over to Facebook, uh, this would constitute that video moving from a user recording to a shared recording. I'm not a lawyer, but this seems pretty broad to me in how they define it. And they, of course, first of all, let you know that you own your rights to the content, but you're also going to be granting them a license 
that is unlimited. You can never revoke it. It is fully paid for and royalty free, and they can do whatever they want with your video publicly after you have shared it publicly somewhere else. And let me give you an example of something that might happen when you do post a Ring video. And I don't know if this is what happened with this particular instance, but uh, this is something that was very recent. You probably saw a viral video that was on all the news stations of this guy walking around with a TV on his head, leaving other TVs on the front porch of these folks. And look what's there, a nice prominent Ring.com logo, because every time you export a video from the Ring doorbell, the logo's up there. And on this story, we saw Ring doorbell uh, logos and Nest logos too. So I bet you Nest probably has a very similar policy. And it's likely, although I don't have any proof to say whether they did or did not, but it's likely that a PR agency likely pushed this video out to Good Morning America and all the other popular news shows out there because this is great branding. Uh, look, look how great this is, right? You've got some funny image here. You've got the logo there, and it shows the product in action. Uh, this is how these companies sell cameras. And when you post video based on this agreement here, uh, you are granting them the right to use the video that's your intellectual property for free. And there's no way out of this agreement because when you bought the product and set it up, you agreed to these terms. So if you are concerned about this, uh, you should not use a camera that has one of these cloud services attached. And what really gets me in the case of this particular camera and many others that come with these subscription fees is that you're paying them and they're exploiting your intellectual property for profit here. And it's probably not something they do often, but I'm sure there are instances where uh, they push this stuff out to the media and people who are uh, sending these, these videos up to the cloud probably don't realize the value that their content has and they're more than happy just to share it out with the world because it was a funny story and they want their 15 minutes of fame. But nonetheless, uh, you are turning over significant rights when you share content with the Ring doorbell. And Eric Brunhammer was curious about what are the most purchased products from my Amazon affiliate links? And I looked back about a year and found the top 10 here. Uh, so speaking of cameras, Wise Cameras are the top sellers by quantity. There's a lot of Wise Cameras that have been sold through my affiliate link. Uh, Mocha adapters are very popular. Uh, the 8-bit dough Bluetooth adapter that allows you to use uh, your Bluetooth controllers with your Nintendo Switch and other platforms, that one uh, does very well view-wise and also uh, through the affiliate link as a result. Uh, the Pepper Jobs Air Mouse we looked at a little while back, to my surprise, is really doing quite well. That's one of the best air mice that I've ever looked at. I'll put the video in the master playlist so you can check it out. Uh, the Mayflash USB adapter, which is another version of the 8-bit dough, is also popular. It's funny, too, because if you look at this list, these are all kind of unique things that not a lot of channels cover. So that's why I get more traffic on them and why we probably see more affiliate purchases as a result. Uh, the North Bayou Visa mount is a monitor arm uh, that has like a compressed gas piston thing in it that actually works pretty well. I've got it uh, here for my studio monitor, and I did a little quick video with my iPhone that's had tens of thousands of views, and that video has been doing quite well, too. Uh, the Raspberry Pi 3 has sold well, because I have a lot of Raspberry Pi content, and I think the VPN video I did probably led to a lot of affiliate clicks there. Uh, the WD Red Drives, uh, also popular items. Uh, Fire TV Sticks and the Pepper Jobs Mini PC, surprisingly, also did well there. It's not a very well-known product, but I think there's very few videos, again, about it, and it's a very good mini PC, probably one of the best I've seen with a 
uh, Gemini Lake chipset. So that generated uh, more traffic and more clicks as a result. But this was a fun thing to look at because I hadn't really looked at it before. So I thank Eric for his question. And our Q&A for you this week is about the wrap-up. I would love to hear your thoughts on the format. I've made some changes to it based on your uh, suggestions from the last time that I asked. And I've seen an uptick in viewership as a result. And I'd like to get some more feedback. Do you like having more topics to talk about? Do you miss anything that I took out? Let me know down in the comment stream and I will certainly uh, take those comments under consideration. Now, our pick of the week this week is a tribute site for one of my favorite PC games called Wing Commander. Uh, This site has been on the internet nonstop for 21 years. Can you believe that? There are very few non-commercial sites that have lasted this long. Uh, The same group of people run the site. I think one of them is actually working for uh, Chris Roberts, who was the original creator of Wing Commander. He works for uh, the Star Citizen team there. Uh, And this site just is a site about Wing Commander, and it's got a lot of great fan projects. It's a great community. It's something I've been poking in on uh, since I was in college when Wing Commander Prophecy came out way back in 1998, and that was the year they got started, I believe. So check out wcnews.com if you're into Wing Commander. I believe they do at least one post a day, and they've stuck to that over the entire two-decade life of the site. That is just a remarkable accomplishment for any website, and it just happens to be a site that covers something that I am interested in. So check it out at wcnews.com. So this week on the channel, we've got a bunch of things that we've already shot, so it's good to start the week off two videos ahead. Uh, So we'll have our review of the Panasonic 4K Blu-ray player coming up probably tomorrow or Wednesday. And then we have the color laser printer from HP showing up a day or two after that. Uh, We also hopefully will get to the Raspberry Pi 4, so that's on the docket. I've got a couple of follow-up items that I might do. Apparently there's a new firmware for the Pocket Go that I might try to mess around with to see if it improves some of the issues we found fault with on that product. So might be a couple other things I sprinkle in here. Uh, I'm really struggling, by the way, with the... Uh, Udu Bolt that I talked about last week. This is a single-board AMD-based machine. Uh, A lot of the games we're trying to run on it are crashing, so we're going to delay the review on this until we figure out what's going on with that. Uh, So we're going to try to get in touch with them and see what is troubling us with that. Um, So if you were looking forward to that review, it's going to be a little bit later, but the other stuff hopefully we'll get to this week. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you uh, sign up for a Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. We'll get a slightly larger one if you sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else. It's a great media-serving application, and we have some more content coming up from them soon as well. And then we've got other channels you can find me on. My Extras channel is at lon.tv slash extras, which has unboxings and supplementary content. We have my podcast, which has an audio version of this show, uh, which you can find at lon.tv slash podcasts. And when we do interviews and I have some radio appearances, I also drop those in there. Uh, The Snippets channel, which I talked about earlier, has uh, portions of this show broken out into search-friendly, shareable snippets. So you can find that at lon.tv slash snippets. And then we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live stream. So you can watch every live stream we've ever done in their entirety. There's probably tens of hours of content you can watch there. If you like what I do, click the bell uh, so you can be reminded every time we upload anything or go live. We also have some ways to engage with us. The email list is at lon.tv slash email. It's a very infrequent list. 
We have my Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook, which I can pay to advertise to you on, apparently. Uh, we also have the Facebook group, which has been my favorite Facebook thing to date, where we've got over 700 fans of the show all talking about topics that we uh, like to talk about. So you can check us out there. And then we've got the store where I sell the items that I've previously reviewed here on the channel. And I've got at least two going up this week. And if you want to get alerted as to when those things are available, you can go to lon.tv slash store alert and you'll get an email sent to you every time I add something to the store. And that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. I want to thank you all for your continued support of the show through viewership and, and the Patreon contributions and the donor box stuff and everything else. But really your support of the show through your viewership and your comments and suggestions are really important. I want to thank everyone Uh, for everything you do to help keep this channel growing and keeping the lights on around here. And we've got a lot more to come this week and many weeks ahead. Until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Mike Talbert, Brian Parker and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.